Welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast, today's pagan pop culture for the Modern Witch. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. Um, It's the season finale. This is the last episode for season three, which really just means that I get to take a month off and kind of like regroup and um, get ready to do some more cool Modern Witch shows for you guys. Um, At least that's, that's the plan anyway. Uh, on this episode, we have like we just have so much actually. We've got Michael Lloyd who wrote uh, the Bull of Heaven, um, which is a really amazing biography that really kind of takes a step into witchcraft, you know, kind of forty years ago, and um, some of the things that were going on, and then you know, thirty years ago, twenty years ago. It, it's a really interesting book. It, it kind of takes us to the witchcraft underground of New York. Um, it ends the life of a man named Eddie Bazinski, and we get to really just take a sneak peek into some of the things that really shaped witchcraft the way that we know it today. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, piece, and I'm really, really excited about it. I know it's taken him a very long time. Um, d- you know, of course, when I met him, he was Garen Du. He was not Michael Lloyd. Um, of course, Michael Lloyd is his is his name, but... Um, I knew him as Garen Duke because I met him through pagan festivals. Um, but he, he's really an amazing guy. He's, he's an elder in our community who has really been an amazing support system in my life. I, I cherish my friendship with him, and I'm so proud of him for um, getting this book done. And um, so now it's kind of making me think, it's time to maybe when I'm taking this month off actually work on that book but anyway um and then of course we have the amazing jason pitzel waters of the wild hunt and pnc um and a darker shade of pagan which you can also hear here uh, here here you can hear it here on um the pagan radio network um and he's on and we have some really interesting stuff to talk about um a lot of which um, I was kind of was surprised that the conversation went that way, and um, I, I hope that you guys have um, your your earbuds turned on because um, it's it's a really good interview, and we we kind of talk about the, where paganism is heading and things that we need to be ready for because of kind of our trajectory. So, um, you know, Jason's a great guest, and and he interviewed the week that um, he was getting ready and preparing for Fairy World, which is happening right now so i mean like literally right now when this when this podcast airs um uh, fairy worlds is happening in eugene oregon and uh jason who lives in eugene oregon is one of the event organizers and um so anyway so yeah she took some time this week and uh he spent it with us so i hope you guys appreciate that as much as i did because jason is awesome um so anyway so yeah so definitely stay tuned you are listening to the modern witch here on the pagan radio network i'm your host devin hunter and we have um, a little over an hour uh, worth of really amazing interviews, really good music, and um, I'll catch you on guys on the flip side. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I do. Sky, running with the world, running like. 
Welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast, today's pagan pop culture for the modern witch. I'm your host, Devin Hunter, and joining me from Columbus, Ohio, is Michael Lloyd. And Michael Lloyd just wrote a book called The Bull of Heaven, uh, which is really a biography of Eddie Bozinski. Um, and Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, it's going to be really weird for me to keep saying Michael, because when <laughs> I met you, you, I didn't meet you as Michael. So no, it's kind of been what? It's been almost five years that I've known you, and I'm oh, sure you gosh, have. It's been at least that. Yeah, and I'm sure you have friends that you've known much, much longer. Um, like you know the person who wrote the foreword to your book, Miss Margot Adler, who we all know of, right? Um, so let's get to this book. Let's get to because this has been a work in progress for you. Yes, it has. Eight and a half years of work. See, one of the things that I really like about about this book in particular is that it's it is a biography. So this isn't uh, you're picking it up and you're learning magical techniques or any. You're actually reading about our history and our recent history because you know Eddie's life wasn't you know a hundred years ago. I mean, his life directly impacted my generation of witchcraft. Um, what was it like to work on a project like this for so long? Oh, dear. Well, I never really started out to write his biography. In fact, that's the first thing I say in the acknowledgments in the book, is that, you know, I just wanted to have some answers to some simple questions uh, about this guy. Uh, You hear people talk about Eddie, and uh, a lot of the answers that people would give were, they did not, uh, they didn't match up. You know, there was a lot of inconsistencies and some things that, you know, were kind of troubling in the fact that they they didn't seem to jive with what we might have understood as, you know, uh, factual history. So you start digging a little deeper and digging a little deeper, asking more and more questions. And finally, at some point, I was like, well, I might as well just write this man's biography since (laughs) I seem to be heading in that direction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it became a hobby. And then... uh, morphed into an obsession i guess so uh uh, eight and a half years later we've got a finished product now and in the process i mean you you've interviewed a lot of people you had access to some really interesting libraries um this is i mean this has just been one thing after another and to track some of these people down that that actually you know were were mentioned in the book and people who were commenting on the on kind of the, the general story here that wasn't an easy thing i would imagine to have to try to hunt these people down years after the fact? No, it wasn't. Uh, You know, in some cases, I was very fortunate. Uh, You know, I had uh, referrals from people who I knew, people I had interviewed. They would say, oh, you really need to talk to this person. Others I had to hunt down. I knew the name. I had a general idea of where they might be, and I would have to track them down. And, you know, for things like this, the Internet is just a marvelous tool. I don't honestly think uh, I could have done this book uh, without it. I mean, just being able to track people down, being, you know, being able to use uh, email to interview people, uh, those uh, who didn't want to talk on the phone, and there are a few of those. uh, And to be quite honest, email uh, works better anyway for these things because uh, you don't have to transcribe. There's no um, uh, mistaking what someone said on a recording uh, so you can write down your answers, and they can uh, or write down your questions. They can write down their answers, and things tend to be fairly clear. So, but yes, it uh, was an incredible amount of work tracking people down, and I 
talked to uh, or um, corresponded with 137 plus or minus people on four continents uh, to do this book. And, you know, the most fascinating cross-section of people, too. Um, I, I don't think anybody will see its like again for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Eddie for, for a moment. You know, I, of course, as a gay man, I, I knew of, of Eddie kind of through the crossbreeze, I should say. Um, of course, I had a lot of I had a lot of gay friends who were also practitioners and had been around for a while, too. So, you know, you kind of bump into to his name a lot. And, in, in, you know, I know gay pagan culture. Um, but outside of just gay pagan culture, he was a really influential guy. What do you what do you think now that you've been able to kind of go through this and, and write out this story? What do you think are perhaps some of the most influential parts of, of Eddie's life? Well, Eddie was a—he was an interesting character. He uh, did not intend to be a witch. Uh, he started out his life uh, with the the death of his father at age eleven. Uh, he became more uh, spiritual. His family was not particularly spiritual; they were Catholic and pretty much name only. Um, but he had decided after his father, his biological father, had passed away, that he wanted to be a Jesuit priest. Um, and he actually uh, went to uh, Catholic high school in order to accomplish that. He ended up getting gay-bashed quite a bit in school. He was eventually expelled from Catholic high school, uh, went back to public school, um, and by that time his uh, he had developed into a fairly effeminate man. Uh, he was getting gay-bashed at home, too. He finally uh, ran away from home, dropped out of high school, at age 17, and went to Greenwich Village, uh, where he dove headfirst into the hippie movement that was going on at the time. This would be 1964. Um, and he became a bit disillusioned with uh, that scene. Um, towards the end of the 1960s, he stumbled across uh, a Gerald Gardner book, decided he was interested in witchcraft, and uh, he looked up Leo Martello, um, who was a rather famous gay witch in uh, New York City at the time. Uh, Leo, uh, if for your listeners that don't know it, um, wrote a number of uh, occult-related books in the 1960s on graphology, on card reading and hypnotism and that sort of thing. Uh, and he became more publicly involved with witchcraft at the end of the 1960s. Incidentally, he was the first facilitator of the Gay Liberation Front, which was the uh, political action group that had formed in the wake of the Stonewall riots. So, you know, at the very beginning of the the Stonewall uh, period of uh, uh, gay history here in the U.S., we had a gay witch that was involved in leading it. Um, Anyway, Leo introduced Eddie to witchcraft. Eddie... Um, basically became quite enamored with it and very successful at it. He uh, was initiated into a Celtic traditionalist um, uh, coven that was run by Gwen Thompson. He ended up taking Gwen's material without permission. Uh, I'm quite you know, specific about that in the book. Took, uh, took her materials without permission, formed what, uh, what he called the New York Welsh tradition, um, and ran that for a few years. He uh, became involved in the Gardnerian tradition. 
uh, his initiator's initiator was um, called a fraud, uh, that her vouch was uh, not legitimate. Uh, his immediate initiator decided that she was going to be reinitiated uh, by someone whose uh, bona fides was not in question. Uh, so she was that cut Eddie off from the line. Um, he ended up uh, forming a neo-Gardnerian uh, tradition that he just called simply the Wicca. Worked with that for a few years. Uh, got involved with the Church of Eternal Source, which was a Egyptian Reconstructionist uh, movement. Uh, he ended up uh, doing some more neo-Gardnerian work. Uh, and then uh, he founded the Minoan Brotherhood in uh, January of 1977. And uh, the Minoan Sisterhood followed, and it became what was known as the Minoan tradition. So he is known uh, in the United States for having founded three different witchcraft traditions, uh, the New York uh, Welsh tradition, uh, the Wicca, and the Minoan tradition. And all three of those are still in existence to this day. So those are the three main things that he's known he's known for in the, the neo-pagan community. So how does it, I mean, he, he passed away at a pretty young age. Um, 42. 42, 42. 42, life, life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, uh, there you go, yeah. What's the, what's the, what's the point of it all? Um, so how does he just kind of slip into the dark? I mean, how, how, do, how do we not know more about this guy? Well, he, uh, part of the problem is that um, he uh, left the public face of witchcraft behind in uh, 1981. He went back, uh, got his uh, GED, uh, and from there he went on to college. He uh, went to Hunter College, and then uh, after that he went on to uh, Bryn Mawr College where he, he uh, earned his M.A. in classical Near Eastern archaeology. So he had, by 1981, he had essentially left the public face of witchcraft behind. He never really stopped practicing. He practiced, you know, on his own, and he he had one final initiate uh, in the 1987. Um, but, you know, he he was using his energy towards, you know, his channeling it towards uh, college at that time. So he did drop off the the face of, you know, the radar uh, relatively early before things really, really started hopping. I mean, you know, when we think about um, the, the pagan history, the witchcraft history in the United States, we think of uh, the 1980s is the time when it really, really exploded across the U.S. That's not to say that there wasn't a lot going on in the 70s and even in the 60s, but uh, it became much more commercial. It became much, much, much more public in the 1980s and much more I- accepted. And by that time, of course, Eddie was not on the scene anymore. Mm-hmm. And and so he's lost until there's this guy who writes a book about him. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's well known within the New York City community. Um, I mean, he was never he was never forgotten in New York. Um, he wasn't really well known even when he was active uh, across the United States. Although there were people that he dealt with uh, that uh, that did know him. His lover, who he 
founded the Warlock Shop with, Herman Slater, uh, was much better known because Herman was a businessman. He dealt with everyone, um, and he went on to uh, to found uh, the uh, Magical Child. He uh, changed the name of the Warlock Shop, moved it to uh, Manhattan, and it became the, the Magical Child. And it became very, very famous. Then. Mm-hmm. It became one of the most famous uh, occult supply stores in the world. And Herman was much better known, uh, even in the 70s when Eddie was involved um, extensively with the craft community. Herman was the much more public person. So he tended to eclipse Eddie, at least from that standpoint, although Eddie, everyone acknowledges, was, uh, was you know, much better at crafting ritual and writing and uh, was a, a much better priest, I think. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to The Modern Witch, and I'm interviewing author Michael Lloyd. So before we kind of head off, because there's some other stuff I want to bug you about, but one of the things that I'm really appreciating about, well, not only the book, but because I know how long it's taking you to write this and how hard it is to kind of, you know, drudge some of these things up and find these leads. But what, what were the, the actual like exciting points to you about this project? Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that really, really pleased me was how um, people who hadn't spoken to one another, who'd lost track of one another, who who had uh, fought, you know, uh, years and years ago, decades ago, actually got back together and began speaking to one another. I that was probably the most heartwarming part of this entire project was just uh, seeing people. Um, remake those old connections and begin talking to one another again. It's been a very healing uh, process, I think, overall. Um, Margo Adler, who wrote the foreword, and and she did such a wonderful job on it. Uh, She touched on every major point that I had hoped that she would when when I asked her to write it. Margo uh, broke with Eddie uh, in early 1973. Uh, They had an argument, she distrusted him, uh, and they never spoke again. Uh, you know, Eddie passed away in 1989, and uh, from 1973 to 1989, they did not speak to one another ever again. Uh, I interviewed Margot because I wanted to understand what took place between them, and at the end of the interview, I I asked her, I said, would you consider writing the foreword for the book? And uh, she was taken aback by that, but she said, you know, conditionally, if, uh, if I am allowed to read the manuscript and I agree with what you've written, uh, then I'll, uh, I'll consider writing the foreword. So we kept in touch over the years, and uh, she ended up interviewing me for uh, her 2006 revision to Drawing Down the Moon. Um, and finally, when the manuscript was done, I gave it to her, allowed her to read it, and she ended up writing the foreword to it. She did just such a marvelous job. But one of the reasons that, you know, the readers may not appreciate uh, why I asked her to do this was that uh, I wanted there to be a closed circle. I wanted to show that they, they fought and they never spoke to one another again. But over time, that uh, division healed and there was some closure, so which made me feel real good. I, I'm just so happy that she was able to do that. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. So, so, so that's one of the big things. It's just the healing, just the people being able to talk to one another again. And I met, <laughs> I, you know, I met some of the most fascinating people uh, in this project. I mean, the cross section of people that I spoke with, uh, that I got to meet, was just—it's <laughs> astounding. You know, uh, the world's foremost expert in classical Greek sculpture was one of his. Uh, uh, mentors in grad school. Um, the lady who was Zai Hawass's uh, right-hand assistant in Egypt uh, went to school with him. Uh, Billy Name, I interviewed him for uh, you know some aspects of the occult in New York City in the 1960s. Uh, Larry Kerwan, who was the front man for the Celtic rock group Black 47, uh, I talked to him about ceremonial magic. Uh, um, the, uh, oh gosh, Hymenius Beta answered questions, uh, of the OTO answered questions about stuff in the magical child. Sally Eaton, who is in the original Broadway production of Hair, talked to me about ceremonial magic and about Herman and Eddie. Uh, oh my God, just goes on and on. Doric Wilson, who was one of the Stonewall rioters, uh, world-renowned playwright. I, I talked to him about some stuff in, that was going on in Greenwich Village. I mean, <laughs> Judith McNally, who was Norman Mailer's longtime assistant, uh, was a Gardnerian and Welsh witch. I talked to her before she passed away. Harold Moss, who was the co-founder of the uh, Church of Eternal Source. Oberon Zell is the co-founder of uh, Church of, uh, of All Worlds. I mean, it just... <laughs> Ray Buckland. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's wonderful, wonderful uh, input by all of these elders respected people in their various communities. It was just very heartwarming how much cooperation I got from people. Absolutely. That sounds like a really powerful thing to be able to witness. Um, so if people want to, to purchase this book, if people want to get the book, where do they go? Right now it is uh, on sale in PDF and uh, in paperback at uh, www.lulu.com that's l-u-l-u dot com backslash spotlight backslash garandu g-a-r-a-n-d-u you can also go to the publisher's website which is asphodel press and that's www.asphodel a-s-p-h-o-d-e-l press P R E S S. It's all one word. Dot com. All right, and we will definitely have those links up on modernwitch.modernwitchonline.com. Uh, modernwitchonline um, so everyone, if you're listening and you want to get a copy of this book, you can always check it out on the website too. Um, now, real quick, before you go, before I let you go, um, and I know it's late there, but there's a festival that that you you kind of helped create. Um, that you've recently retired from, but I know I'm going to see you there in a couple months, uh, which is Between the Worlds. It's the Between the Worlds Men's Gathering. It's held in southeastern Ohio every year at uh, the autumnal equinox. Um, Julian Hill and I co-founded it in uh, 2002, so this is its 11th year. Uh, I retired at the end of uh, last year after having helped co-facilitate it for a decade. I knew the book was near completion, and I needed to start clearing uh, 
my slate so that I can begin promoting it. And I want to write some other stuff too. So uh, I retired after a decade. I think it's time to get new blood and to move on and, and let other people have their head at mm-hmm. it. So, uh, but wonderful community. Um, if I don't think if you've not been to something like this, you, you can't really truly understand uh, particularly the gay and bi men, you know, uh, I've gotten a lot of, you know, comments over the years that, oh, my God, I can't imagine being uh, in a large spiritual retreat with a bunch of gay and bi men. It's just got to be so bitchy, but it's not. Uh, it's probably one of the most spiritually fulfilling things that I have ever done in my life uh, to bear witness to the transformation that takes place amongst all these very fine men, um, just to see the, the interaction, to see the friendships made, to see the marriages that take place uh, between people who've met there, mm-hmm. to hear uh, elders uh, talk about what they've learned over the years, to go to the wonderful workshops, the absolutely phenomenal rituals, and just to have fun, you know, out in the woods with a a bunch of other people that are not, they're not all witches. There's <laughs> Norse practitioners there. There's uh, the Don Santeria practitioners, the Druids, the Archdruid of ADF has attended for a number of years there. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's an unbelievable gathering of men. The yeah. finest uh, community that I've ever been associated with. Yeah, it's definitely the most. I would say some of the most life-changing experiences that I have had have happened at BTW. The first year I went, I was a cocky little shit and um, there just wasn't room for any of that. I mean, it wasn't even that I was trying. It's just, you know, you, you're kind of immersed within a certain type of community and then, yeah, you end up going to this spiritual community that is for men who love men. Um, And it, it, something about me changed very much. I think I got, I've gained a lot more confidence um, just from being able to go there and energetically be in the space and have those great conversations and meet those great people. Um, and I just, I can't wait to get back there this, 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 uh, this fall. It's going to be really great. We, we like to say, leave the bar attitudes at the door. We don't want them. We don't need them. Uh, and you won't need them either. You know, mm-hmm. it's just that kind of place. You just don't need it. Yeah, no, it's 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 home. It's definitely home. Um, well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you a million times over. And of course, there's going to be a lot of questions, so I assume it's okay to shoot emails over to you. Sure. <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, to do, do you want do you want an email address or do you, absolutely? Do you how can well? Let's put if, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, right now, probably the best way would be uh, to uh, uh, write to me at, and that's, I'm going to have to spell it out because Eddie's name is not <laughs> is not very uh, legible to people. It's Buczynski Project, uh, and that is B-U-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I dot project at gmail.com. You can also go to me on my Facebook author site, and that's uh, www.facebook.com backslash Iacos, I-A-K-K-H-O-S. 
Absolutely. All right. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. All right. And I will be talking to you soon. And everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back with Jason Pitzel Waters. Thank you. 
welcome back to The Modern Witch, today's pagan pop culture for The Modern Witch. We are listening to us here on the Pagan Radio Network, and of course, joining me from Eugene, Oregon, is uh, everyone's favorite pagan, Jason Pitzel-Waters. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Devin. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. You have been a very busy guy since last we spoke. <laughs> I guess so. You know. The, the wild hunt keeps me pretty busy, and uh, I, you know, I have also have another job where I work for the people who put on the Fairy Worlds Festival, and they also put on the Fairy Cons in Baltimore and Seattle, so I work for them. Right now, Fairy Worlds is coming up right here in my hometown of Eugene this weekend, in fact. Uh, that would be the 27th, 28th, and 29th, and we have Donovan headlining. And we also have some great pagan uh, musicians like Sharon Knight and S.J. Tucker, uh, who are also playing. So that's going to be very exciting. Uh, it's a very pagan-friendly event. And, uh, and then, of course, I also do my weekly podcast, Darker Shade of Pagan, which is also on the Pagan Radio Network. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've been with the Pagan Radio Network almost since the beginning. They've we they've been like my they've been like my partner for ever. Like was it seven years now, six or seven years? So ever since I started a Darker Shade of Pagan podcast, so they've been the rock supporting me throughout my podcastery. It's nice having PRN, like in the it's kind of part of what I'm doing. I know, I know, I've noticed um, it, it is different. I guess having a podcast, like just a podcast, versus you know internet radio. Um, the there's there's like little things that I, I know I have to do, um, like just with the way things are rendered and you know um, put out there for because when people hear it on you know streaming it's different from when they actually download it from the feed. And right. Yeah. There, it, but I found that I really really like it here. Yeah. No. It's uh, you know Lou is a great guy and you know PRN is is a great resource. You know I hope they I hope they keep going. So. Yeah, I keep threatening him that I'm gonna um, get a hold of all of you, all of the other hosts on Pagan Radio, and then I'm going to um, force that we do some like fundraising for PRN. <laughs> like it's gonna happen, Lou. It's gonna they, happen. They could totally use some fundraising. Yeah, if you if you want to donate to the Pagan Radio Network, that's a that's always a good cause. Absolutely, absolutely. Because internet radio ain't cheap, y'all. It's not. It's not. All right. So let's talk about PNC. Um, okay. when... That's right. I also am the co-founder of the Pagan Newswire Collective. Right. I, almost forgot that. <laughs> I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody missed that part. Uh, all right. So PNC is it's continuing. It's continuing to grow. It's it's getting yeah. bigger. Um, the the bureaus are are getting more more people involved. I mean, it's it's really shaping up to be something that. I don't know, Jason. I gotta tell you, when when I first heard about it, my <laughs> my initial thought was that there's no way in hell this is going to happen. This is just not going to happen. This getting pagans to do anything is just not going to happen. And then Jason Pitzel Water steps out and says, "Hey, we're going to start doing this." And then the floodgates open, and these people start showing up, and then they start talking to their friends. And you know, here you. How long has it been? It's been a year. Uh, well, the Pagan Newswire Collective has been around now for. I think we're going on three years. Oh, wow. There you go. So, um, I mean, albeit the first year, not a lot happened. So <laughs> you'd be, you could be forgiven for not knowing <laughs> that the PNC was really doing anything because, uh, it's, you know, it was really, 
you know, the PNC kind of came out of the idea that that we our community need needed a more robust journalism internally, and that I was also afraid that uh, with the Wild Hunt uh, acting as sort of a news blog for the pagan community, is that you know very few other blogs were sort of following my lead. There are, I mean, there there are literally hundreds of pagan blogs out there, and many of them are very good. Uh, and there are now like hundreds of pagan podcasts as well, and many of those are very good. Uh, but very few pagan blogs or podcasts actually focus on journalism, on like reporting news or reporting what's going on in the community. Many of them are uh, editorials or explorations of their own spirituality uh, or some other, you know, or their you know explorations of sort of a niche you know, tradition. And some, like I said, some of these are very excellent blogs, but very few uh, sites actually deal with news. Mm -hmm. And I was always worried that if I ever decide to stop doing Wild Hunt or if I get like hit by lightning or, <laughs> or something happens, uh, that, that there isn't, there wasn't really any mechanism in place for like, well, what, what's going to happen with pagan journalism, you know, post this sort of era, you know, there's, I think there needs to be not just people writing about news, but there needs to be sort of an ethos of people wanting to create journalism in their community. And I think that that's really the mission there is to sort of create a new ethos of people who want to report on the pagan experience as it's happening within the, you know, from a local standpoint and up to a national and international standpoint. So uh, I think that, you know, I think we've made some very good gains. I think um, I think we've done some wonderful work, certainly. I think, you know, obviously some bureaus really stand out, like Minnesota and and uh, Washington, D.C. have done just exam some exemplary work. Uh, but I think that on the whole, you know, we have a long way to go. You know, it's, and I think, and I really do hope that, that you know, I think in my, in my heart, I think that what I really want is more people doing this kind of work. You know, I think that I, you know, I don't, you know, some people are afraid of competition or they're afraid of people building uh, sites that might compete with their own. But as long as these other organizations or sites are doing good work and are doing original work, then I think that I welcome that. I, I hope that uh, like a thousand flowers bloom mm -hmm. from the idea of pagan journalism. I, I certainly don't want it to be something that is solely centered on my experience or PNC's experience. And what I'm really hoping to do really is just is make the PNC not about me at all. Uh, I, I've kind of promoted myself into obsolescence within the PNC. Uh, <laughs> I've, I basically, in our new structure, I'm basically sort of, um, I'm more of a figurehead than a than an editorial voice. I I have some say over what what goes on within PNC, but but right now the managing editor of the PNC is Kara Schultz from PNC Minnesota, and the editor uh, and the and the editor under her is uh, Diana uh, Rachel, um, and they're the ones who are kind of handling the 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 central organization of the PNC, uh, not me really. <laughs> uh, and I think, and obviously all of the bureaus are independent are they, uh, 
they choose to be a part of the PNC and choose to uh, adhere to our uh, statements of, solid, of uh, solidarity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any one of those bureaus, you know, if the, if the PNC for some reason should ever atomize or should like collapse, all of these other bureaus are independent agents and could go on on, on their own. You know, so if like PNC Texas, for example, you know, they, if they didn't want to be PNC Texas anymore and they just wanted to be Lone Star Pagan, which is what their site's called, they could do that. They're, they're, and they could continue reporting as they've always done. I think what I'm hoping that the PNC does is sort of create a sort of Johnny Appleseed effect of pagan journalism where, where local pagans start up a journalism outlet for their community and ideally then contribute those stories to a larger narrative of pagan journalism. But in the long term, I, I merely hope that it creates a new way of, of us reporting on our own communities. So, Have you found, and this might be a weird question to ask from your angle, but have, uh-huh. one of the things that I know I've seen is that the community has really kind of coalesced around the wild hunt. I mean, you know, we didn't have anything like it before. Um, yeah. That's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, because, you know, as people are coalescing, there there's uh, people who are going to be absolutely 100% about, um, you know, what's happening and wanting to get involved and wanting to participate. And then, of course, you just have your trolls who like to, you know, we all have sure. trolls. But what is, from, your, from your angle, you know, looking at this, watching the community kind of coalesce, what is really, what, what's been kind of going through your mind these last three years? Well, um... I do want to point out that, I mean, obviously I had antecedents to the Wild Hunt. I think, you know, like Ren's Nest at the Witch's Voice certainly predated the work I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but but it is true that when I first started the Wild Hunt, there were literally, there were maybe a few other blogs in general. And it was there was literally not much out there. Uh, most pagan experience on the, on the net at that time were focused on like message boards and communities and e-lists. And there really wasn't sort of a pagan news site per se. Um, and I, you know, and as far as my, the centrality of the wild hunt to like sort of the pagan news experience, I think that, I think it's an interesting phenomenon because uh, recently at pay, at the pagan spirit gathering, uh, Kara did a poll of one of, at one of the morning meetings and asked, so how many people read The Wild Hunt? And she said maybe, you know, like 40% of the people raised their hands. You know, so I think that, I think that The Wild Hunt as serves a very specific audience of people who are already plugged in and looking for pagan news. Uh, and I think that the reason my sites become so influential is because the people who read my site also happen to be pretty influential people within the pagan community. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's sort of become a, you know, I've become, I've become influential because influential people read my blog, <laughs> you know? So, but I think that, I think many pagans don't care about the sort of, I mean, it's not that they don't care about the pagan community. They do, but they don't really, they're not invested in pagan news per se um, as, you know, as some other people are. They, they don't see how it's completely relevant. I often point out that the biggest pagan media news outlet nowadays is Facebook 
because what happens really is that it is the ultimate aggregator of pagan news and that, uh, you know, and you see, I see tons and tons of people who basically just, that's all they do is they forward, uh, you know, stories they find to other people, including mine. Uh, and that's how people get their news. They're like, well, I read this on Facebook. Someone's Facebook friend, you know, sent this to me or they, or like on Tumblr, you know, someone, re, you know, re, you know, republished this on Tumblr and that's how I heard about it. They, they don't really have a loyalty to like, say the wild hunt, you know, although obviously I do have, I do have a number of readers and, and I, I, as far as I know, I, I am, you know, I'm the biggest site of its type, you know, uh, right now. Uh, and I do worry about the centrality of the wild hunt. I do. I am. I mean, because I always envisioned that I would start the wild hunt and then I would do it. And then other people would start doing essentially what I'm doing, but from their own perspectives, uh, you know, like there's, you know, the, there's several different news outlets and they all report in the same story, but they all have their own spins on it. And certainly I was expecting sort of that sort of scenario to happen. And it didn't really happen exactly that way. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, and because I have my, I don't know. So I, I, I guess I do, I do, I am troubled at, at that there aren't more pagan news blogs or sites out there. And I'm not exactly sure how to address that problem, except to try to be a promoter of good pagan writing and pagan news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that, and that's really why I support the Pagan News Wire Collective and why I helped found it was, you know, because I don't want to be the only news source for, you know, the people who read my blog. I, I want to be a news source. And, and certainly I, I would like to be a primary news source. I, I like, you know, I, I enjoy doing what I do and I want people to obviously to read what I'm writing. Otherwise, why would I, why would I bother writing it? But, <laughs> you know, I do think, but I do think about that. I do, I do often kind of mull over what would happen if I just decided to quit tomorrow? What, I mean, would, would, what would rise in the vacuum of that? If mm -hmm. there was a wild hunt vacuum, what would, what would replace the wild hunt? And, you know, I kind of feel like maybe, I think maybe something would, but I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that part of it too is just, we're, we're still sort of in our, our adolescence as far as that, as far as this sort of paradigm of news goes. I still think we're kind of we're still moving out of the idea of uh, you know the pagan news used to be done in like magazines and newsletters and then it was kind of centered around the community created in message in like um, bulletin boards and e-lists and I think we're still sort of getting used to the rapid acceleration of pagan media. I mean, if you think about it, in the span of a decade we've gone from none of this, no, no podcasts, no blogs, you know, no, no media sites to the current proliferation we now have. I think that is, it's amazing. And it's certainly, um, it's certainly very rapid change, especially for the paying community, which usually takes a while to sort of absorb these sort of uh, shifts. And I think that, I think it's going to take another, it's going to take a little while before, I think, before we sort of absorb this and 
and other people say, well, this is the reality now, and this is how this is how we're sharing our media, and this is how we're making the news, and this is how we're going to do it, and and then and then then perhaps we'll see more wild hunts. You know, it won't be just Jason and the wild hunt. There'll be these other people, you know, trying to create sites that you know try to encapsulate what are the hot stories for modern pagans today you know because obviously i think i i mean i know i mean i'm not immune to the criticisms that some people have lobbed at me although i do ignore my trolls but i do think that some people are concerned that my voice is the voice that shapes pagan news for a lot of people and i know some people are uncomfortable with that and i totally i totally get that that's a legitimate reaction because not everybody is going to agree with me and what I think is important or or even what my voice is um, and that's fine no one has to no one is forced to agree with me and 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 what I should I what I tell those what, what my advice to those people who are frustrated <laughs> with my voice is to go out and make it happen because that's exactly what I did I was not a journalist when I started the wild hunt and it really was a process for me of becoming a journalist. And if you look at my site from the very beginning and back in 2004 to today, you really can see the evolution of my own writing and what I'm doing from essentially just a link blog where I kind of go, hey, look at this, this is awesome, you know, to what I'm doing now. It really was a slow evolution. And I, so I think that really you, I mean, if you want to see a different pagan media landscape, you have to embrace and be embrace that and be the change you want to see within our own community. I mean, that's that's exactly how the wild hunt happened. And it just took years and years and years of writing every day and hard work. I often tell people that, you know, I'm a, you know, overnight success story that took seven years of writing every day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, so, you know, so to some people, it looks like all of a sudden Jason Fitzwaters is, has emerged onto the pagan landscape as this big nosed pagan and, and where, you know, where does he get off? And it's just because I, I logged in the hours and I've put in the work and, and so people respect me for that. And, and, but that isn't, but, but that is a phenomenon that can be reproducible. I think what happens in a lot of cases is people start a site and then they get very frustrated that they're not seeing a lot of success for a long time. I think, I, I was I was dead certain that I only had three readers, and that when I first started, I was like, I was like, and and like Chaz Clifton was one of them. Like Chaz Clifton discovered my blog, and so we were like mutual blog buddies back in like the early two thousands, and and you know, and it was like him and like maybe one or two other people were commenting on my blog, and I was kind of feel like, well, that's it, that's our re- that's my readership, so. I think that even so, even if you're starting out and you think you have a readership of three, which I really thought I did have, then you just really have to, that's what you work with. That's what you work with. You start with that readership of three and eventually it happens. I mean, so, cause I think my blog didn't really start to take off as far as, um, as far as, you know, more when I really, when I really felt that like people like a lot of people were reading it. it was not until around 2006 when uh, that was the year I first interviewed Margo Adler. And that was the year where I uh, reported, I actually started doing reporting, I guess, really, where I was like, 
you know, covering stuff that happened within the pagan community in a way that, you know, caused a lot of people to, you know, come in and comment. I, it was like, specifically, I remember I was, it was the scandal, it was a blow up, a blow up over the frosts mm-hmm. and about that. And, and I remember that that was really something that kind of got like everybody really engaged again, and, again, and because nothing, nothing works that like that. Just like you know, then writing about the frost. Yeah. It's an audience. There you go. There's, there's my advice for how to get your news blog off the ground. Write about the frosts. Yep. So there you go. Instant audience. Just add water. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think that you know it can happen. But yes, I do. I am concerned about the centrality of the wild hunt. And as, as far as that goes, obviously with the caveat that. I mean, I still think there are a lot of pagans who's never who've never even heard of me, but I do think that you're right in that there are a lot of people who are influential pagans who do respond to what I'm writing, and and that does create this situation where where I become this I become like the news, you know, and and I am uncomfortable with that. I think that I think a, a healthy news media is one that is diverse, mm-hmm. and um, and I. Whenever I see good pagan reporting, I I'm more than happy to promote it at the Wild Hunt. So you are now listening to the Modern Witch here on the Pagan Radio Network. I'm Devin Hunter, and our guest is Jason Pitzel Waters. We'll be right back after this break. <clears throat>
Welcome back to The Modern Witch here on the Pagan Radio Network. I'm your host, Devin Hunter, and joining me in the studio this week is Jason Pitzel Waters, and we've been discussing The Wild Hunt. So, Jason, um, one of the new additions to The Wild Hunt is the Wild Hunt podcast. Yes. And um, I love it. I have to tell I do love it. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's uh, it's still sort of beta. I guess it's a it's a... <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of a beta podcast for the wild hunt because um, it's, you know, podcasts are hard, especially if you put, if, especially if you want them to sound professional and if you want to have, you know, if you want to have sort of a structure to them, it's difficult. But uh, the reason I started one was just because I wanted to have, in some cases, there were cases where I wanted to have longer conversations about <clears throat> stories I was reporting on. And I wanted to get experts or people I felt were knowledgeable on those topics to talk to me and have sort of a, a <clears throat> oh, I'm very sorry, I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm starting to have a more expansive, uh, I you know, it's more expansive feeling about these stories I'm writing about. So that's why I really, I started it so I could have these conversations. And um, yeah, I think the ones I've done so far have been very good. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud with, proud of them. And uh you know, I'm currently planning one right now for my next one, uh, which will be centered on uh, comic books, actually. Ah. <laughs> so um, that's still it, we're still working it out, but that's going to be happening. And I have another one in the planning stages that's going to be a conversation with um, about pagans and Christianity and Jesus, ah. uh, which will include uh, Reverend Mark Townsend. And uh, who wrote Jesus Through Pagan Eyes. Mm-hmm. I've read that. And Paul Lewis Metzger, who wrote the book Connecting Christ, um, which is basically a book written to about how to interact with other religions. And there's a section on paganism, paganism in there. And what I thought was unique about that book was that it uh, actually include, it actually gives a pagan the last word, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was interesting, is that he... He writes about, well, here's how I think Christians should interact with pagans uh, from an evangelical Christian point of view. And then has a pagan basically essentially write a response saying, well, here's what I think. Um, And so I thought that was very unique for a evangelical Christian, uh, especially for a book marketed to other Christians. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, so I really thought, and I thought it was interesting that his book and Mark's book, uh, Pagan, uh, Jesus Through Pagan Eyes, both came out around the same time. And they're both sort of talking about how pagans can or cannot experience Jesus. So I thought that was a very fascinating conversation. And we were originally going to have that, we are originally going to record that show back in, in, we're in July, uh, but uh, due to scheduling, uh, they it's been moved forward. So now it may not be happening until September, but eventually we're going to have that conversation. Uh, part of it is that he's an academic and, and so he's busy all the time and it's getting, you know, Mark who's in Britain and, and the, the academic and me all in the same, you know, Skype space at the same time has been challenging, but yeah, so, I, uh, you know, so I find, I think the podcast ultimately will be something that happens when needed. So it's kind of a, it's it's just another tool in the wild hunt arsenal uh, to do better media 
and better reporting for the payment community. So, yeah. What are, I mean, the, the pagan community is no stranger to controversy. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I just laugh about it now. Like, you know, when stuff comes up, I'm really people, is this what we're arguing about now? Is this, is this really, you know, but aside from all this controversy, because we get it enough, what are some of the actually the positive stuff that you're seeing come out of the community? Uh, like what controversies? No, I mean, you know, aside from controversies. Oh, Oh, so what stories do I think are important? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's funny because I'm actually, right now I'm developing a talk about our community and what, what we're, what we need to be doing, um, to go into the future. And, and I'm hoping to give like the point 1.0 version of that talk at the upcoming, uh, Mary Mead and Grand Council for COG in New Mexico this August. And then I'm also hoping to maybe give the 2.0 version of that talk at PantheaCon. And I guess uh, I think what's really important right now uh, is kind of a twofold thing is that, you know, modern pagans as a whole need to work towards uh, preserving the past in a meaningful way and, and preserving what was important about what made us who we are. And I think that that's, that's slowly happening. We've had some excellent, there's been sort of a rash lately of biographies and autobiographies of, of influential pagans, mm-hmm. uh, which I think has been important because Michael, it really, it, yeah, Michael Lloyd was, was just on. Yeah, exactly. Michael Lloyd's bowl of heaven, which I think is uh, a grand book. And I think is uh, very important uh, for what it for the context it gives, you know, I think you, Margot Adler wrote uh, a foreword for the book, and I think she kind of acknowledges, you know, she, you know, I, she, I was, she basically said I was there, you know, I was in New York during that time, and I learned a lot about what drove this man, you know, and what and and how he did all of this. So I think that, you know, I think that's an important aspect of, I, I think, and as far as as far as like what's important to pagans and what and how the pagan media influences that you know i think that we really need to embrace preserving those voices now especially since a lot of you know we're we're slowly, we're we're quickly losing a lot of these elders and i think that you know if we don't preserve these voices now we're never going to have a chance to do that and that'll really make a difference to what our community looks like 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road uh, so if people are very are concerned about like lineage or heritage or you know how the past shapes our future, then I think we really need to be paying a lot of attention to how we're dealing with our own legacy. And I know that there's several initiatives right now to sort of create uh, archives and museums uh, and things that will do that, like the new Alexandrian Library. Um, which is just laid its foundation for its building. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's an important project. I, I know that Don Frew is involved with a sort of a pagan documents archive that is looking, uh, a library that's looking to preserve uh, texts. And, um, you know, so I think, and I, I think there are, so I think there are these projects sort of emerging now that are, are kind of, you know, I think as the baby boomer generation hits retirement, which is what it's doing right now, you know, the baby boom generation is hitting 65. And 
I think was it, uh, I think I'm not, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think statistics is like, you know, every day another 10,000 baby boomers are hitting that magic number mm-hmm. and are hitting, you know, and I think when you hit that age, you know, it's, you know, maybe as a community we're shifting to thinking, well, how do we preserve, you know, all the things we've put together and, and built? Because I think to a certain extent, if you think about modern pagan community as a social construct, not not talking about well how far back can I trace pagan stuff right, um, you know that's a completely different debate. But if we want to talk about pagan community, you know in the modern context, I think that it really is sort of a baby boom uh, invention. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it was kind of sort of born with the baby boomers and and matured with it. So I think that uh, we, you know, for good or for ill, we are shaped by the baby boomer experience of modern paganism. And and as they all reach their retirement age and become elders and and slowly leave this plane of existence, I think we need to really take stock of their, what they've done and given us and shaped within our community. So I think that's very important. I think a lot of stories within pagan community coming up are going to be about that. They're going to be about how do we move forward? You know, how, how does the next generation of leaders, you know, take, take over, you know, how do we, how do we move forward as a community? How do we preserve all the great things that have been built? I think those are going to be important issues. And then, you know, as far as the future, I think that, you know, what's going to be important in the future. I think what's going to be important in the future is, um, how how we deal with our own success, and I think you know, and I think that's kind of a broad category for you know all the stories that we're going to be <laughs> that we're going to be reporting on for the next twenty years is how do we deal with how successful we've been? Because I think we've been more successful as a religious movement than almost anyone could have envisioned, except maybe Isaac Bonowitz. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think, I, you know, I think a lot of people are, um, have tried to have like overinflated how big we've been or how much we've grown. But mm-hmm. even if you go with the most conservative estimates of how big we are or how much we've grown, uh, it's an astounding, you know, feat. We've, be, you know, we've gone from a curiosity to a established religious movement that some people take seriously mm-hmm. and, and a multi-generational movement now. So, and I think that, you know, I think we're really going to be dealing with how do we, how do we address the questions of our success? How do we, how do we influence the narratives of, um, how do we influence the narratives of the, of the mainstream world when it comes to our religious values are we going to start seeing uh, pagan advocacy organizations? Because I think in a, a lot of cases, paganism as a movement has sort of been playing defense for the last, you know, 40 years or so. And I think that we, you know, especially through like the satanic panics and, and you know, things like that, I think that we're, you know, now we're getting to a point where, are we going to start becoming proactive, you know, and... And I and I do believe we we need to do I knew I think believe we do need to be starting start being proactive, in a smart a smart way. You know I think that some of the organizations we have now need to create 
tools to do that, to engage with the, the general public on issues that are important to us now so that we get our voice in there. Like, uh, uh, like in the Hindu American Foundation, which is an advocacy organization. You know, uh, it's funny, I was on a panel with them at PantheaCon. Uh, it was a Hindu pagan panel. And I said, you know, Hindus have been spending the last couple generations building temples. And I said, and you have all of this infrastructure, this financial and financial infrastructure, and I wish we had that. And and uh, the pan, one of the pan Hindu panelists turned to me and said, I wish we had modern paganism's media savvy as far as, you know, getting in the news and getting people, getting our, our voices heard. So I think that, you know, I mean, I think the grass is always greener. I think that there are a lot of pagans who wish, well, boy, wish we had spent the last 50 years building temples, you know, without, you know, and, or, you know, I wish we had spent more time building infrastructure. But I think other people look at us and say, how do we get, how do we get reported on as much as modern pagans do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do we show up in the news all the time? You know, and I think that, uh, you know, so I think that, I think we have, we have strengths that we can utilize to influence the larger conversation about the future of religion in our society. And I think we need to start preparing for that. And we need to start treating our success as a real thing that's going to, that is going to continue um, and we need to focus on, and this kind of ties together uh, our her- you know, honoring our heritage and moving into the future by by basically kind of talking about how how can we take the lessons and the institutions and the things we built in the past and hand them over to newer generations of pagans who are are willing to take the lead and do it in a proactive manner. And I think a lot of stories that are going to come out are going to be about that. And I think that, uh, and I think, and I also think that, you know, even if, you know, some people are always prophesizing that there's going to be a new backlash against modern pagans and maybe that could happen. Certainly our culture is ripe for the sort of moral panics that, that caused the satanic panic of the 1980s. Um, I think currently it's against Muslims, not pagans, but you know, but I think that, I mean, that's always possible to happen again. I think people always love burning witches, at least metaphorically. So <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I think we need to, you know, we need to be aggressive about how we interact with the wider world. I think we, we can't really, we can't do what we used to do, which was sort of hope people, everyone ignored us. You right, know? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, because we're no, no one's going to ignore us anymore. You know, uh, I think one thing that that's always troubled me is that I keep waiting for the horrible story. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell, explain what I mean. Um, so, for example, uh, there was recently a scandal within the yoga community with the Anasura Yoga School, where the founder John Friend, uh, who got basically was involved in a sex scandal and a power scandal, you know, like a lot of religious leaders get involved in sex and power scandals. And uh, one of the scandals was that he had a Wiccan coven that was essentially his sexy times Wiccan coven. Mm. <laughs> and, and I, what I really thought at the time when I was reporting on the story was we are so lucky that for some reason, nobody thought this was a big story. 
<laughs> you know, right, right. or looking at the James Arthur Ray story where there's this new age, you know, s- secret peddler who ended up killing people in a, in a poorly designed sweat lodge. You know, what if that had been a pagan, mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, you know, or any other number of scenarios. I keep waiting for the big bad story where a pagan does something horrible and it becomes international news. And what are we going to do? Are we ready for that as a community? Are we ready to be proactive in shaping the narrative about what our values are and what we do or do not support when the big bad story happens? Because it's not a matter of if the big bad story will happen. It's just a matter of when that big bad story will happen. Mm -hmm. And because everybody eventually has a big bad story, you know, everybody, every group eventually has something where they just like, oh, go, oh my God, I can't believe this involves uh, one of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's a terrible moment when that happens to you. It's a terrible moment when a member of your group does something terrible and heinous and you don't know what to do about it. And, and you are, and people are coming to you and saying, is this what you support? Is this what you believe? Is this what, you know, pagans want? And I think in those moments, this is exactly why we have to have a more proactive and, and a media-savvy pagan movement, one that is, is ready to shape the narrative. So I think that, you know, so I think going forward, we just have to, we have to assume that our success is real and act accordingly. And we have to, and we have to defend the advances we've made. And I think that as far as like the big stories of the future are all going to revolve around that. They're going to revolve around how we are now a part of the mainstream culture. We're no longer solely a subcultural phenomenon because it used to be that pagans were a subcultural phenomenon. And like you found pagans within subcultures. You mm-hmm. found them, you know, like, oh, look, here's some goths and one of them's a pagan. Or you find... Like here are these, you know, new age weirdos and one of them's a pagan or, you know, pagans were a subcultural thing. They were a small group that existed on the margins of society. And that's not true anymore. We exist in the mainstream. And and while some of us bemoan that fact and wish, well, boy, I wish we'd go back to the days of being an awesome subculture where we were mysterious and, and people didn't know anything about us. And, you know, and everyone thought we were these crazy, powerful witches and stuff like that. I think that that, that horse is completely out of the barn. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we are now in the mainstream. And I think all of the stories we report on for the future are going to be about how we manage that. How do we manage being in the mainstream? How do we how do we handle all the debates we normally had, but were completely isolated by the fact that we were a subculture? How do we handle that suddenly exploding into a mainstream context? Hmm. Right? Yeah. So what? Ha- so next. So the next time we have like the the argument about the frosts, what happens if? What happens if the big bad story about modern pagans is that a modern pagan is found to be a sexual abuser? And they, it's a big, high-profile story. It's one of those stories where it's so horrendous it makes the big news. It's not just a local story where someone gets arrested, but it becomes a huge story. And then suddenly 
the media, the mainstream media, like the CNNs of the world, start looking at us and saying, well, what about these frosts? And what about these other, you know, what about this? And what about that? And, and we can't, we can no longer rely on the insulation of subcultural, uh, you know, anonymity, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, it's, we're, we're in the age of information. It's too late now. Everything is, everything is, is public and everything can be found and everything is out there. So we got to start acting and living accordingly. And every big story about modern paganism moving forward is going to be about the tension of us existing in the mainstream world. So. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Modern Witch here on the Pagan Radio Network. I'm your host, Devin Hunter, and our special guest is Jason Pitzel-Waters. We'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back to The Modern Witch here on the Pagan Radio Network. I'm your host, Devin Hunter, and joining us in the studio is Jason Pitzel Waters. Now, Jason, just before we went on break, you were talking about essentially kind of, you know, what's what are we going to be looking at in the future as far as, you know, us as a pagan movement and, and interacting with the, you know, what I politely call uber culture. Um, because <laughs> we do, we live in our bubbles, and, and we've gotten very comfortable with the insulation of our bubbles. Um, but like you said, you know, there are these, there's these stories coming out and just, we just had a story about maybe what, six months ago. Wasn't there like a goddess temple in like Arizona that was actually brought yeah, the prostitution ring, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I got a lot, actually, well, I got a lot, I got two emails, um, asking for like clarification about what exactly it is that we would do. And I'm like, I have no clue what those women are doing. You know, I, I have nothing to say about that. Um, but you, but we end up finding ourselves in those positions where, you know, these things are happening in certain parts of the community, but because we are part of the community, we end up having to kind of explain, we end up being put in that role. Um, sure. you know, and I know we talked, I think we talked about that like on the first modern witch panel at PantheaCon two, two years ago. Um, this had come up. What in your experience is really kind of the best way to handle those situations where we're put up against trying to, you know, having to explain um, a part of our culture to, you know, secular society. Um, when things like that happen, when those stories do go down. Well, I think that, I mean, well, first off, obviously, when we talk about pagan community, quote unquote, I think, uh, or the pagan movement, I always prefer, I guess I've I've been preferring the term movement because it's, it's kind of more permeable and broader. I think community implies a certain closeness and, and some of these groups we may not be close with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I do think that, you know, so with the Phoenix goddess temple, it kind of, it kind of sort of remained a a sort of localized story. So it didn't really blow up. And I, I did write about it at the time and I kind of felt like, well, Yes, they seem to be engaged. They seem to have been engaging in what they call sacred prostitution or mm-hmm. sacred sex work, or however you wanted to find what they were doing. But they were performing sexual acts in exchange for goods and services within a sacred context. So the big question was, well, how do we respond to that? Do we? I mean, some people responded by basically saying, you know. Pagans don't approve of prostitution, and so we do. And ergo, we do not approve of what they've done. Others have been like, "Well, that's not a very sex-positive response to that." And that, uh, you know, if they say they are goddess worshippers, you know, and that their work is sacred, then it is. And who are we to who are we to throw them out of our tent because they say you know because they got busted for prostitution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I think at the end of the day. You know, because we res- because we have resisted doing boundary maintenance, except for perhaps the most heinous of crimes. You know, it, you know, unless you are molesting children or killing people, you know, I think then you're okay, right? I think mm-hmm. I think that you're you're included under the pagan umbrella if you say you are, because we have all been very loath to do that sort of boundary maintenance right. where. Where we say, well, this group here, obviously not pagan, you know, because of A, B, and C. So, and because because the because of the nature of our movement, which is that we are a collection of of faiths 
who have their own, you know, rules and uh, traditions, and we all kind of coexist uneasily together, sometimes easily, but you know, sometimes uneasily, you know, we don't really have the power to say to excommunicate a certain group, mm -hmm. right? We, we don't, we just, we decided that, we decided a long time ago that we didn't have that power, mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why the frost debate keep coming, but keep coming back up and up and up again, because we, no one really does have the power to excommunicate them, mm -hmm. right? You can't say, and lo, I say to thee, pagans, these people you shall no longer speak of, you know, we right. don't, there's no pagan pope, and we all like it that there's no pagan pope. Mm -hmm. So if the Phoenix goddess temples say that they are goddess worshiping, you know, sacred sex workers, then they are. And who, you know, we can't, we can't then say, tell them, well, no, you're not actually pagans. So the response has to be different. The response can't be like what some faiths have been, which is say, this group obviously isn't Christian, or this group falls outside of our teachings, and obviously they're not real Christians, mm -hmm. right? We can't do that. We can't say, well, Phoenix Goddess Temple, you're not actually pagans because, well, we said so. Mm -hmm. so, so instead, our response has to be, explain who we are and what we do stand for. And we have to explain what it means to be a pagan in a way that that doesn't apologize for the crimes or misdemeanors of a certain, for a certain group, but contextualizes that, that incident within the context of the fact that we are a, a broad-based movement that, you know, where we don't, you know, that what they're doing does not speak for all of us, nor do, nor do the actions of any pagan faith speak for the actions of all the other pagan faiths. Mm -hmm. Right? So, for instance, if you have, like, a racist pagan group, and there are a few out there, yep. like, and, not, and I'm not going to go into naming names because I don't want to start that, open up that can of worms, but, you know, we, we can say, you know, well, most pagans abhor that behavior and we do not accept you know accept it and the and the big pagan organizations can certainly go forth and say this organization does not support that and we do not believe in that and you know and and in our opinion most pagans don't either hmm. and i think and I think that's going to have to that's going to have to be the way it is going to have to be, you know. And I think that's why I've said that's why I said earlier that I think we need pagan advocacy organizations, you know, uh, sort of the pagan, you know, pagan versions of you know the Anti Defamation League and things like that, where, you know, they go on the offense where they say, you know, you don't get to you don't get to define us this way, and they insert themselves into the media narrative and saying this is one group who are practicing in a way that most of us don't don't acknowledge as the norm of pagan practice in the in the in that we all sort of share some basic values centered around you know the reconstruction or revival or reawakening of ancient pagan faiths you know so mm -hmm. you know and that's a difficult needle to thread but it's but that is the position we're in and we're just going to have to thread that freaking needle so, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not easy because, we, but we're, you know, if a group says they're pagan, then they're pagan, you know, because we said that that's how it goes. Right. You know? Now, if that group said, 
we're Gardnerian Wiccans, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then we could actually get a, a group of Gardnerian elders to, to come forward and say, they are not practicing Gardnerian Wicca. Mm-hmm. They are, they're practicing a weird bastardization of what they, what we, what we truly are. And then they, then you could actually have a situation where you say, this is not true. Mm-hmm. And that, and then I think in most cases, that's what's going to happen. Someone's going to some come forward and say, blah, 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 a local Wiccan did blank horrible thing. And in which case Wiccan groups can come forward and say, well, no, what Wicca is while very broad based and certainly very permeable does not include these behaviors, you know, and you can actually make response based on that. Mm-hmm. But you can't, but, but if someone's speaking about paganism as a movement and as in a broad based general term, then you're going to have bigger problems. So I think that that's why, you know, us, we, we the movement all have to become proactive. So, you know, so if a, if it's a Druid who does something bad, then the Druid groups have to be ready to like, well, what's our response to that? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but, but we certainly can't, we certainly can't say, well, the Phoenix Goddess Temple aren't pagans. We can say, you know, we can, we can say, you know, well, our tradition or our faith doesn't approve of their actions, but we certainly, but well, we've already all this, we've already kind of collectively decided that, that anyone who says they're with us is with us. Is with us. <laughs> right. So, Got to dance with them. Get. No take backs. No take backs. No take backs. All right, Jason. So you are all over the internet. Um, if people wanted to find out more about okay. you, wanted to find out more about your work, where can they go? Uh, well, there is, of course, the Wild Hunt at patheos.com. It's at patheos.com slash blogs slash wild hunt. Or you can just go to wildhunt.org, and that will get you there, too, which is nice and simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pagan News Wire Collective, of course, is at www.paganewswirecollective.com. Uh, and uh, the darker, A Darker Shade of Pagan is at www.adarkershadedpagan.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash adarkershadedpagan. And if that's not enough links for you, you can always go to jasonpitzelwaters.com which just gives you a link to all my projects and you can find them all there. So including, you know, my Facebook profile, uh, if you want me to not friend you. So <laughs> I, I have, I have this, this enormous queue of people who uh, have friended me on Facebook, but I don't know who they are. So I've been kind of hesitant to just kind of blind, blankly, you know, approve all of them. Uh-huh. And pagans have this annoying habit of, not using an actual photo of themselves. Right. So to use like a poster or like, you know, a starry sky with a moon and a stag. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, so it's very difficult. They make, they make social net, uh, social networking more difficult. But anyway, so yeah, those are all places you can go and find out about like me and the internet. All right, guys, we'll be right back after this break. Sweet 16 and bold as love The danger I've been dreaming of Sweet 16 and bold as love The danger I've been dreaming of Sweet 16 and bold as love The danger I've been dreaming of Sweet 16 and bold 
said she does not care. Sweet 16 and bold as love, the danger I've been dreaming of. Sweet 16 and bold as love, a witch Welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. Today is pagan pop culture for your modern witch. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. Um, you just listened to a little over an hour's worth of just awesome witchness because you're listening to the Modern Witch. Um, okay, so we are going to be taking a month off. And when I say we, it's really me. Um, we're going to be taking a month off. Um, and I'm going to be doing uh, some interviews and just kind of getting stuff kind of lined up for the next season, quote unquote, of Modern Witch. Um, so you're going to be listening to some best of Modern Witch here on the Pagan Radio um, while we're while I'm on hiatus. I'm still getting used to it it being a, a, a solo gig, not a, not necessarily a bad thing, um, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the show's going to change because, you know, it, why not? Because you know the show. And if you've been listening since day one, um, you know, we've had a bunch of changes. And that's just kind of what happens. And part of that is the show is figuring itself out. Um, now that we're on Pagan Radio, um, there's been kind of a, a push, not from Pagan Radio necessarily, but um, there's a more of a push to um, go more more internet radio-esque. Uh, with the show, which I'm actually kind of excited about because if you, again, if you've listened to the show, then you know that's kind of a dream of mine. Um, so that's one of the pushes that's going to be made. Um, uh, Modern Witch itself is taking on some some new th- uh, threads and some new kind of um, projects, which is really exciting for me. Um, all of which I've been working very, very hard for um, quite some time to make happen. So um, one of those things I will give you a sneak peek about Um, because I'm still in the process of it Um, and it will be awesome because I love you guys and this is for you Um, but Christopher Pinzak just released a new book um, which of course off the top of my head now I feel like I'm going to screw it up but it should be Buddha Christ and Merlin Three Wise Men for Our Age Um, but he just released this book and um, it is something that I'm really really inspired by because it's I think it's it's time for us to start to challenge our paradigm a little bit more I think it's time for us to shake this this concept of witchcraft up because it's old, it's stale, and you know it, I, I'm coming across this because the show is modern witch, okay. And the things that I, I started when I kind of went out there, it was about well, what are we doing now? You know, what what's making us unique as a movement? And there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, there there of course were our music, which of course you know I've tried to highlight, and um, some of the, the the stories that are happening that are kind of you know making us bigger in um, the the public eye. Um, you know, I've I've tried to cover some of these things, but at the end of the day. It's it's really about what are we doing for us, and um, you know there's some really amazing people out there. D- David Salisbury is is an amazing guy. Not only is he, you know, this this really great blogger with Capital Witch and PNC, you know, but he's written for the magazine and he has really great pieces. He's got really great ideas, and I'm telling you, in ten years, this guy is going to be a big deal. This guy is amazing. 
Um, and I'm really proud to have him as part of the, the, the priesthood of my generation and to see where that's going to go. And I'm just happy that he's a part of what we're doing here. Um, you know, having people like G'day um, being part of what we're doing, of course, is great because he's one of those young go-getters. And I, and I love seeing that. But of course, you know, we as modern witches, we're more than just our current generation. You know, we are our older generation. And um, that goes for the older generation too. You know, they, they, they're part of us and we are part of them. And I think it's time that we kind of move beyond all of this drama because um i you know hey i love a drama just as much as the next person it's it's great to kind of watch and sit back but not so much when you're a part of it and um and so that's of course has been something interesting that's been that's happened the last you know couple of years um since i got the show so i've had time to kind of sit back and think and what i've come to the conclusion of is not that if somebody comes at um, you know, the, the show for saying something or having a guest on it, or, um, I could care less about that. Um, or I couldn't care less about that rather. I, I, I'm doing this because I get your emails and I, I'm the, I, I meet you at PantheaCon. I meet you at, at Earth Warriors. I, you know, I, I meet you at, at the different festivals and pagan prides. And I love you guys. And I love meeting you. And you guys are just freaking awesome i have the best listeners i think out of any podcaster um especially in our genre i have to say um but ultimately it's about you guys and what you guys want and you guys are are sick of the drama too and i can hear it in your emails and in your responses and and our private conversations so i am going to make the next season and kind of this next year with modern winch more about a celebration about who we are and our kickassery because we are really amazing people us pagans you know and we are going to as you heard in the you know in the interview with jason we're going to start getting some attention on us and so i think it's really about how we're how we choose to present witchcraft you know the generations before us chose to present witchcraft in a very specific way and it um, kind of allowed for the the world to to place a specific makeup on 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 what that looked like but now we're out there you know people know we exist you know as witches as mystics as um you know healers and shamans and and um you know whatever you know pagan variant you are you know you're out there you're doing work you're part of the world and people are 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 starting to get interested they've they've been interested in a while but you know now we're not so scary to them so now it's it's our turn to kind of you know take witchcraft and say no this is what it is to us this is what it is to us so christopher his new book um i feel is is kind of part of that is, is part of this new message and it's saying no we you know we have our own our own mysteries too and we have these shared mysteries and um this is how we can kind of weave these together and i think it's a really amazing statement i i'm really proud of him for writing it and i've i've spoken with him um it's it's amazing so i i think it should needs to be the uh the first modern witch book club book and uh, this is something I've been working on for a while and kind of the idea of what that would look like in the shape of it. So on modernwitchonline.com, um, I'm going to open up one of the forums to specifically be for the people out there in the pagan community who want to get this book and want to go chapter by chapter. And this isn't going to be something I'm going to do on this show necessarily um again we're still trying to figure it out but we are going to record um with teachers from all over the country 
um, who are going to be reading this book, um, who are going to be, you know, studying with this. And, and uh, Yeshe Rabbit has, has agreed to come on and be a part of that process with me with this book because it, it, it touches her heart too, the message and the, the, the power here. Um, so I'm really excited. Christopher Penzak, uh, the book's author, has agreed to come on and he is going to interview about the process. And with that, we are going to take questions from you, uh, the people who are listening to the show, who have been following along, who are um, you know listening to the, the different teachers from all over the country and, and the world, because I've, I'm in talks with people from Europe right now um, to be part of this. I, it's all hush hush because I'm just trying to make it all cool before I... I open the can of worms but um essentially we're going to have a, a weekly book club and each week we're just going to cover a different chapter of the book um, and this will be starting in september and so when so we're going to take august off and i will be um of course you know working on this and perfecting this so that when the show comes back the first uh, week of september I will be able to give you guys all of that information and I will, um, of course, put it on modernwitchonline.com and you'll have all of that information. And, um, and in the meantime, you know, of course, while I'm off for that month and I won't really be off cause you know, I'll be working on other stuff. Um, I want to make sure that you guys know that you can go to modernwitchonline.com because I'm going to make sure there are guest posts. We've got guest posts um, from uh, see the, the one I'm going to post next, I believe, is the one from Crystal Blanton. And it is actually a rite of passage piece from Modern Witch Magazine that um, we ended up deciding needed to actually be a special presentation for you guys. Um, so we're going to release it because it's it's a Crystal Blanton piece and she's amazing. Come on now. Um, but we're going to release it just for you guys. So even though it was supposed to be in the magazine, it didn't get cut because I wouldn't have cut this piece. This is an amazing piece. Um, but we are going to, we've, we've been holding on to this gem so that while the show is on a month hiatus on modernwitchonline.com, once again, modernwitchonline.com. You can um, go on, you can read, get all of this great stuff. I'm going to be posting um, all kinds of freebies. There's just going to be a whole mess of Modern Witch going on um, in the month of August. It's just not going to be audio, which I think I'm sure we're all okay with. Um, and once again, you know, if you're listening to the show on the Pagan Radio Network, um, we are going to be, I don't think, shifting the, the time around or anything, but you need to go, of course, to paganradio.net um, to find out what your local show times are. Um, but, uh, yes, but anyway, so definitely check it out, um, modernwitchonline.com and paganradio.net because there's going to be all kinds of information out about what's going on. And, um, if you're following the Facebook feed, I of course will be, um, updating very regularly about that. And that is modern or that's modern, Witch. hello, facebook.com slash modern, witch podcast, um, or I'm sorry, facebook.com slash modern, witch online. My bad. Um, so yes, facebook.com slash modern witch online. Um, and if you go there, that's the Facebook feed and, um, yeah, there's all kinds of modern witch awesomery there. So I'll see you guys there while I'm taking this, this, this month off and know that I do love you and I appreciate all of the great comments and all the great feedback. And if you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that is, um, Devin at modernwitchonline.com. And I would be very happy to answer any of your emails. And um, I lay this blessing upon you from the podcast world that you go check out some of the other awesome podcasts, such as The Wigglyan Way, 
um, with Mojo and Sparrow because that show kicks ass. Uh, New World Witchery, which is an awesome podcast that also kicks ass. Um, and of course, you should check out the Psychic and the Witch, um, which is David Salisbury's show um, with with um, his partner Michael. Yes, um, and uh, it's a great show too. So you should check that out. Um, so there, there's some shows all, all, all around at you. And of course, you can always check out the amazing shows here on the Pagan Radio Network, like A Darker Shade of Pagan. Um, that's always a good show to listen to. So yeah, um, and of course, there's you know we've got all kinds of stuff. So yeah, all right. I love you guys. I'm getting. I'm going to bed now, and uh, I hope that you have a wonderful month of August, and you are in my heart, and uh, I know that. Uh, I'll see you on the flip side.